for on all other nights, we eat chamas or matzah. Listeners, welcome back to Season 1, Episode 23 of Takes of Our Lives. I'm Vince Kochi. I'm joined by Steve Wilk. And this week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 23 of The O.C., titled The Nana. Steve, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it, it was very um, apropos, very... Um, it was classy of you not to do a funny reaction to that line, because <laughs> the... The episode itself this week was a little bit, um, I think you put it well in our pre-show discussion, it's somber. It's a bit of a somber episode. Yeah, definitely the most serious OC episode we've had in season one. Kind of reminds me of the episode after TJ, for obvious reasons, with Marissa, you know, finding out, basically just like some trauma being put on Marissa. Um, There are no hijinks with this one. Uh, it's pretty w- real all the way through, all the way around. There wasn't a ton to take down. We we discussed whether or not we were going to do that segment. We decided to uh, leave that one on the shelf this episode. But yeah, just a lot of raw emotions throughout. Well said. Uh, so what happens, Steve? Well, the episode opens with Luke and Ryan having come back from a long night of looking for Marissa. Uh, Tempers are high between the three of them, including Seth. And it gets worse when Julie comes into the pool house unannounced, demanding to know where Marissa is. Luke tells her that the cat is out of the bag, that the uh, two boys uh, caught them in the or at the mermaid parking lot. Uh, meanwhile, Sandy and the rest of the Coens are dealing with the arrival of Sandy's mother, who is the titular Nana. Nana drops the bomb on the family that she has six, four to six months to live due to lung cancer. Uh, Oof. There are, yeah, seriously. Uh, throughout the episode, there are many come-to-Jesus moments with the Nana and various members of the Cohen family. There is a very short will there, won't they, with Jimmy and Haley. Turns out they will. And Marissa <laughs> has fled to Chino to escape the harsh truth about her mom and luke ryan uh, tries and eventually succeeds in bringing her back to the oc steve I, I i don't like to i don't like to heap praise on you but um actually i do your summaries are getting better and better this is this is some back of the dvd case tier summaries thank you man yeah i have to admit that was pre-written i wish i could say i came up with all that off the top of my head but no i i, I i've gotten the uh I've, I've found the pattern in how we do the these episodes so i came prepared with that one but i appreciate the, <laughs> i appreciate the praise all the same well the professionalism is showing uh to me i'm gonna leap right into a rewatch reaction yeah um, tell me it's kind of a conflicting episode i think it has very high highs very low lows i think ultimately it is fairly forgettable but not for a lack of performances by some key players. Firstly and foremostly, I want to give a quick shout out to Linda Lavin as Sophie Cohen, who oh, so good. Uh, comes in for, I, I don't remember off the top of my head if she's going to be in another episode this season, but she's very, very, very good in this episode. And if it's her only episode, then she made the most of it. Yep, you are correct. She plays the Nana, uh, Sandy's mom. 
She's a social worker in the Bronx. And from like the lore drops that we get throughout the episode, we get the sense that she embodies all the same ideals as Sandy, except she is like even more intensely driven and devoted to them. Um, so much so that it seems like there is some like lingering resentment between Sandy and her about how much she worked and how little time she spent raising him and his siblings. Another little lore drop. Sandy has a brother and a sister, which we uh, I guess I wasn't aware of up until that point. So that's interesting. But she is great in this in this episode. Linda Lavin, uh, the actor who plays um, Sophie Cohen, uh, the mother of Sandy Cohen. Are, that's a that, that's a role with large shoes to fill. And she does it extremely well. I feel like she has Absolutely. like the, yeah, she's got the gravitas that you would hope to see out of, you know, the mother of Sandy Cohen, but she also has the edge and enough of the humor for, for me, it really worked well. Excellent casting. It, it kind of like serves to shine a light on how poor the casting of Ryan's mother was. In <laughs> Dawn, you're, you're taking shots two. at Dawn. <laughs> I'm here. To, I'm here to take shots at a lot of pieces and parcels in this episode. I want to pose something to you, and this is maybe maybe at long last I'm living up to the name of this show, but I have a take for you. Yeah. This is your first take after 23 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you finally gets one um, off. Yeah, let me hear it. Is this the worst episode of season one? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, you know, I didn't think it was bad. I, I think it's like kind of... Tonally, it's not consistent with the rest of the show because there really wasn't outside of summer. There is really no there's really not any light moments in this episode. I was going to say I thought now I'm uh, kind of avoiding your question because I'm trying to I'm trying to think of if there is one worse. I think the one after TJ might have been worse. The episode where Candy Striper break out of hospital. Yeah, because that's pretty. er But I don't know. I'd have to go back and kind of reevaluate what I said about that one. I just thought that's just off the top of my head. What I found the similarities that I found with this one were with the Thanksgiving episode where there's interesting shit going on in the Cohen house and we keep getting ripped back to Chino where Marissa and Ryan are where you just every time they cut away from all this uh, what's happening in the Cohen house uh, to go back to Chino I get frustrated. And that was the same thing with the Thanksgiving episode. So let's talk about that for a second. Um Chino being shoehorned into this episode is by far the most egregious flaw. It's not the only flaw, but the mechanics of it are inexplicably Marissa with ostensibly nowhere else to go. They even do the due diligence of saying, have you checked with Oliver? Well, I didn't expect (laughs) you to ever mention him again. So kudos, kudos. Yeah, that Um, one did come out of left field a little bit. When he said that, I was like, "That, that doesn't seem seems like that would be literally, actually literally the last place she would go. <laughs> like Skid Row. would she'd, she'd go to Skid Row before calling Oliver at that point. She would go visit Arturo in prison before <laughs> she would. Um, it, is, it is wholly and utterly unbelievable that she would show up at Teresa's home. Yeah. Prove me wrong. No. Change my mind. You're right. I, I agree with that. Um, it, why we needed to be brought back in with Teresa and Eddie. Although Eddie, I was you've uh you've shouted out I can't remember the actor's name now, but the dude who plays Eddie is good and I liked him in this episode. But that's pretty much the only thing I liked about the Chino stuff. Um, totally Eric Balfour. I'm I'm on I'm on one for Balfour. Um You're on the record. He... As being pro <laughs> Balfour. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. But but just to like to to put my hooks back into you, Steve, I'm not convinced. To me, there are only two episodes that are truly truly bad in season one so far. And like it should it should say a lot that I even sort of like a large portion of this episode, which I think might be the worst one of the season. So but, what are you what are your what are your big gripes with this? Is it all the Chino stuff or is there some of the Yeah. This it's it's good that you asked that. So I'll articulate my actual gripes. So we're on a shaky premise to start, which is Marissa runs away, sort of a tired plot line. She runs away to Chino, which is totally unbelievable. Ryan is forced to go back. Then we get a complete replay of all of the Teresa Eddie drama, but it's also like the wind is taken out of those sails. And now Teresa isn't like, has none of that interesting resignation. Now she's actually come around and is into the idea of marrying Eddie. And like 15 times, Eddie says, Hey, this is my engagement party. And he, he was like, he was like the most low budget godfather of all time. He's like, <laughs> You come here on the day of my engagement. <laughs> It just was like utterly unwatchable. So you've got half of the episode that is unwatchable. The other half is pulling some heavy weight, wherein we are introduced to a one-off character, not a great start, who has a completely off-tone injection of seriousness into the show's veins. So as much as I like, thank God... Sophie Cohen and Sandy Cohen and Seth and Summer are so good in their parts. They rescue what is kind of, I would go so far as to like almost accuse it of being a faux pas. Out of nowhere with no prior groundwork laid, we're like, boom, dying grandma, react to this. Aren't you emotionally sad, viewer? Aren't you torn up? I I feel like it's it was played pretty cheaply, but rescued rescued by the cast yeah if if she if they hadn't gotten the right actor for that role or if those scenes hadn't and they do get a they get it gets a little drawn out how many times she has to they're like multiple times convincing and reconvincing her position well no that and then and then she she gets like the the lines like that sandy uses like oh i guess you're they Sandy and Seth both are like, oh, now who's running away? And Seth's like, oh, you're the one who doesn't want to stick around. Whose fault is that? They give her the guilt trip lines. And then when Kirsten does it, it's actually good because she gets called out on it as, you know, she's like, oh, guilt now. You're sure you're not Jewish? Like, that was a funny <laughs> line. But yeah, the, the yeah. multiple guilt, guilt trips is what I was trying to get at. That got a little Yeah, tired. they kind of play over the same material, don't they? And it's a complete contrast to how jam-packed the previous episode was. We basically, only one thing happens in this episode. It happens like four different times and keeps happening and eventually it's resolved. Um, I don't know. I consider this episode and the Donnie episode to be the two low watermarks of season one. Ah, Donnie. Yeah, that that's good memory. That is, I would put that up there. How, how do you feel about the uh, the episode after Donnie? Or, 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 no, that's the, um, I'm thinking about the episode after TJ. That one is bad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But at least the like capers are plot relevant. And Julie is really enjoyably villainous in that episode. We do get um, some good Julie in that episode. As in this one. I, th- I think her, she's contemptible again. Especially in that opening scene where she's like accusing Ryan right off the bat. And then little does she know that 
both Seth and Ryan know, you know, the jig is up. She's been she's been molesting a sixteen year old. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> um so overall, I guess my take centers around the fact that I don't know. You don't get a lot of episodes like this in season one, thankfully so. Um but it it's the first one in a very long time. I watched it and I said to myself, could have skipped it. Could have skipped this one. Mm. I think I know where you're going to land on foundational or filler. <laughs> I've tipped my hand. You, <laughs> you surely did. Alas. Oh, any rewatch reactions for you, Steve? Other than the drawing the parallel to the Thanksgiving episode, not really. I mean, and just like the what we the whole what we've been talking about this whole time that this is like by far the most serious in tone uh, of any of the episodes we've got. Um, yeah, and for those reasons, I didn't dislike it as much as you. I didn't really, I didn't think about it as as long or as, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it at all. The fact that. Uh, it was a little cheap the way they introduced Sandy's dying mother in one episode. Uh, I was just kind of taken by her performance. I just thought to to like whatever you think like the the mother of Sandy Cohen would be like, she really hits the nail on the head. I felt like so I, I was more impressed by that than I was, uh, you know, any of the misgivings that I could have had by the plot mechanics that got her in the episode. That's fair. And and you know again that's a minor gripe compared to the entire Chino plot which is uh which is an utter unmitigated disaster. Yes. But can I can I follow up one more? What do you think of Sethala? <laughs> I didn't do my research. I should have. I hope I don't sound ignorant. Is that his full name? No, that's like a Jew. That's like a um, yeah. Yid- I'm th- I think adding "la" to the end of someone's name is like a Yiddish thing. I might I could be wrong, but that was that's my take on that. Listeners, especially any of our y- listeners of the of the Jewish faith, please write in with your angry remarks. <laughs> if we have misstepped, we deserve it. Um, but it's an interesting point to bring up because as we gracefully transition into our bees get degrees segment, uh, the Jewish faith does come kind of front and center with a lot of the discussions and and a fair number of the gags as well. Uh, are you ready to transition? Steve? Yeah, let's do it. All right, listeners, so B's get degrees. We're talking about the B plot now. It's a little bit cheating. Uh, I throw up my hands, as Steve likes to say. Uh, the B plot is sort of the A plot in this episode. At least it doesn't involve Ryan and Marissa, which is usually what the A plot has to do. But it does get the lion's share of the screen time, and it is the more interesting thing that's going on in the episode. True. I think that you could, by definition, I think you could call this the B plot, although it is like light years ahead of in terms of like wh- what's more interesting than what's happening in Chino. I thought we, there was a chance that we could talk about, maybe we can squeeze this in, but the, the Haley Jimmy Cooper C plot was... Uh, oh, I think we should. Actually, let's, let's use that as a little appetizer. Okay. Will they? Won't they? They will. Should they? Shouldn't they? They shall. Steve. Honestly, <laughs> I like what you did there. But like this has been drawn out, not in every single episode, but this started in, I'm pretty sure it was the Rooney episode, which was like episode 14 or 15. We're now on episode 23 of the Haley, Jimmy, Will They or Won't They? 
and mercifully they will, although not without some bumps along the way in this episode. Let's list a few of the things that the Haley, Jimmy, will they or won't they outlived in the show. <laughs> Oliver, for All one. Oliver, yep. The Luke and Julie, the Luke and Julie subplot that's kind of a, it's not officially <laughs> over i guess their relationship is but yeah that that started and ended um the ryan and Teresa fling oh yeah all resolved before Haley and jimmy finally decided hey we're gonna have sex <laughs> and this whole and time they haven't even done it yet no they've been so worried about what kirsten and uh sandy would think like it that's what I wanted to bring up because it's it's pretty simple what happens here. Jimmy comes over to the Cohen house at one point. He's wearing like cargo pants, looks like a middle schooler, but whatever. <laughs> that aside, um, just kind of like wants to check up on Haley after you know their the, the excursion in Los Angeles. Um, they, I want to break in really quickly, yeah, because this is my one Haley note. She says, and this this comes from my darling partner Sarah. Haley at one point says to the boys, well, I had to thank you for convincing me to come back home. And then she goes, AK, you got me fired from my job. <laughs> I was, that just made me laugh because they, they like did the opposite of rescuing her. She, A, was there on her own volition. B, was getting paid. And now she's like, once again. Yeah, yeah, she's checking the want ads again, as they as Kirsten mentions, when she makes that huge breakfast that no one eats any of. <laughs> that was that was a bummer. But anyway, back to Jimmy and Haley. Um, Please, they so it's that that scene ends with them both kind of smiling, like oh, this might be on. Then Haley shows up at Jimmy's house with a box full of carbohydrates and basically, <laughs> like wants to make out with him, and he stops it. He's like, no, no, you know, Kirsten. What about Kirsten? And she gets pissed, rightfully, I believe, and is you know about to leave and he's like Haley wait and she's like wait for what I like that line because it's like yeah like come on what are what are we doing here and then said think, all that needs to be said exactly and then um it ends with Jimmy coming over for the Seder dinner and he he's now changed his mind and he's like yeah let's do it and she's like no better not and then he's like he has that great line about like but it would be fun and I'm totally self-destructive, which kind of like if I'm her, I'd be like, wait a minute, that's not a compliment. Like <laughs> you telling me that you're self-destructive <laughs> as like a, a way to, you know, get with me is not something that uh, I would find, you know, as like um, a compliment. But whatever, she is taken with it and they agree to it. But they're like, we better we we can't tell Kirsten, at least right now. So they're going to keep it a secret. My thing is, like, uh, would how much would Kirsten actually care about this? Let's ask ourselves that question especially since we're a little thin on content this episode. Uh, how much will Kirsten care about this? I don't think that much, honestly. Maybe it's just because I've I've now, you know, been, the idea's been in my brain, you know, since episode 15 or so. Um, but what could she, what does she have to be mad about, I guess? She could be mad that her clandestine setup with Rachel has been foibled. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we never got the episode where they watched uh, you know, an NFL classics game or whatever. <laughs> ESPN classics game. Unfortunate. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Outside of just like some latent jealousy or just thinking that it's a doomed relationship. I mean, would, would does she have any reason to be upset about it? I don't think so necessarily. No, I, 
I, I think it's if she if she were to have any reticence, it would be the age disparity. And that's mm. something that this show it's just not in the canon of the show to care about. And at this point, I mean, they're. It, yeah, consenting adults, etc. It's not et even that. It's not even that egregious. It's, it's like late twenties, early forties. It's, it's not exactly elegant, but it's, it's far. It's far from a Caleb Nickel, Gabby Nickel. Mm, yeah. I don't remember Gabby's <laughs> last name. This is a this is a tour of one shot characters. So yeah, but they're still going to keep it a secret, nevertheless. So I'm sure that'll result in some, you know, interesting plot. As we move forward. It's been several whole minutes since an illicit relationship has been going on. So <laughs> I'm glad that we're back to it. Uh, back from the C plot to the B plot. We have we have uh, Sophie Cohen interact with many different people throughout the episode. And I think, I don't want to speak for you, but each, each instance of this is very good. I think all of these scenes are very good and very well acted. Do you have a favorite Cohen family member that she interacts with? Yeah, the Kirsten, the the scene with Kirsten in the kitchen, I thought was the best. Because that one was the, she does give her the guilt trip. Kirsten gives, at this point, everyone's taken their turn at giving. So what, we should, let's back up just a little bit. So she drops the bomb on Sandy that she had, the real reason she's come uh, for Seder this year is to tell him goodbye, essentially. She's got four to six months to live. She has advanced lung cancer. She's not planning on getting any treatment. So this is, you know, essentially goodbye. So in as a result of that, everybody kind of like is wondering, okay, well, why not at least try to fight it? If there are some treatments you can take, um, you know, to extend your life a little bit. And each one of them gives their own guilt trip on, you know, why she should do this. And the one with Kirsten, I thought was the best because that we're at the, at the beginning of the episode where the viewers like let in that Kirsten and... Sophie don't have the best relationship that Sophie kind of holds it against Kirsten why Sandy left New York and you know her her father she says at one point that you know you married a, a a woman whose father represents everything that I fight against so she's got some misgivings for Kirsten and just the whole everything that happens in the OC generally uh so in that scene she it's kind of like Kirsten's given it to her as as good as she's gotten in the past because there's a couple scenes previously where Sophie is like not exactly she's pretty rude actually to Kirsten that moment when she says like who's talking to you do you remember that in the first the first blow up scene that was pretty yeah Uh, that's the reveal scene that's the reveal I I actually love that scene it it didn't make my O scene so I'll talk about it now Uh, but it was damn close Um, we have basically it comes to a head the the comedic tension in the first half of the episode is we don't we're, we're all led to believe that the Nana as they refer to her, is very scary and mean. And then she arrives and she's like very sweet and nice. And so there are like five scenes in a row where this is played for laughs. And finally, Sandy is sort of uh, suspicious and goads her into kind of cracking a little bit. And then we're led to believe that the old Nana rears her head and takes a couple swipes at Kirsten and speaks her mind about Arnold Schwarzenegger and the state of California. <laughs> and then it's it's it comes out in a in a boil over that she's also dying. Each character gets their their chance to convince her, but as you astutely pointed out, Kirsten's is the best because I feel like it is 
there's a layer of mutual respect that is not necessarily not that it's absent. She she respects her grandson and her son, obviously, but there's just not that like combative yet co-respective aura that makes that scene with Kirsten so juicy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Would I though the one that I thought was the least convincing or the one that I cared about the least was the one with Seth when it's also it's just a little bit of petulant Seth where he's he says you're the one who doesn't want to stick around. Whose fault is that? Just I don't know. I it didn't uh, I didn't sell for me. It didn't it no. didn't land like I think it's a product of this plot element being introduced so suddenly. It's like we've never not once heard an utterance of Sandy's mother from Seth. Sandy himself has given a couple of throwaway lines about her mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, Caleb has actually oh, had yeah. the most screen time <laughs> talking about her, and that has always amused me greatly. But um, yeah, I just didn't. I'm, I'm with you. I didn't buy it. No. Do you have any other thoughts on this B-plot? I'm glad it existed. I mean, if yeah, not for it, we would have <laughs> what had to watch more Chino scenes. It was... Ooh. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think we should just, I mean, we've mentioned it before, but we should just say it again, that it really hangs on the performance of Linda Lavin, who just really kills it in all, in all those scenes. Yeah, even even when Seth is not at his best in his scene, she is, she's at her best. Uh, excellent, excellent work. Wonder if she makes one of our tier lists. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, saying, I'm not saying one of us has a more, like a higher likelihood than the other, but I, I might be saying that. <laughs> I I'm not gonna I'm not giving it away yet. Okay, very shrewd of you, Steve. <laughs> um, what we should give away though is our OC. Uh, actually, not that many good candidates this week, Steve. No, and we we kind of burned most of the good ones talking about in the last <laughs> the last segment. But I don't know where, <laughs> yeah. where did you. <laughs> Which Not which of the a lot left? No, which of any of the Nana ones that you picked out? Yeah, um, I there was one really good Nana scene. I thought it was a fascinating dynamic, um, and some good body acting too. Uh, she is Nana. She goes out to the Cohen yard, the patio, to smoke a cigarette, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, Sandy confronts her. And this is where we get like the the big nuclear grade lore drop, and also we get the classic OC inopportune person lurking in the background. Whereas Seth overhears all of the news about her impending death, and he he's visibly wounded. Adam Brody doing a good job conveying that through his facial expressions. Not a whole lot to say about it that we haven't already said. Both participants, Sandy and Sophie, are terrific in it. Um, I, As much as I didn't buy Seth's speech uh, one scene later, I totally bought father and mother, or excuse me, son and mother, complex relationship, love but a lot of wounds. To me, uh, once again, Gallagher came through with exactly the type of performance he needed. Totally. And yeah, we get like the, that's, he, he, that's the scene where we get the idea that there's some built up resentment on his part with his mom about how he, that's where he like unleashes the thing about how 
she was never she wasn't around she was always looking after other people's kids you know and when he left at age 16 she you know he wasn't even sure that she noticed because she was always busy fighting for some cause uh and just wasn't around and she gets pissed and she was like your dad was the one who left you know not me i was around and um but yeah that that is a really good scene i like that a lot yeah and, and to be honest hate to hate to have to say this didn't actually make me say oh this week. No, I didn't. I didn't say oh. I just said, oh, good. good I yeah, I, I lifted a light, lightly lifted an eyebrow at my uh, oh scene. <laughs> uh, mine was the first blow up with Nana. So like you said before, the we're they're all talking about how scary she is. She shows up and she's actually kind of nice. I wouldn't say she, everyone's like shocked at how sweet she's being. I was, she still has some edge on her. Um, you know, she's yeah, still not that nice. Frankly. Yeah. I like the line where she she's like, hey, she doesn't recognize Haley. And Kirsten's like, oh, you remember my sister Haley? And she's like, oh, yes, the bad seed. I always she's like, I always liked you the most. Don't tell the others. I thought that was fun. But <laughs> you can tell she's a product of the Coens for sure. Totally. Yeah, she's she's definitely got the sarcasm going in that scene. Um, the first blow up, though, you mentioned it's uh, Sandy decides he's going to get the truth out of her. He says he left the PD's office so that he could help spend more time at home and, you know, better help the community. And that's what the first line that she gives him where it's not you know the knives are out she says you're not helping the community you're opening restaurants kirsten interjects and then the nana hits her with the absolutely brutal who's talking to you line so that was the Oof. first time you're like holy shit so yeah we mentioned that before but that that was the that that may have made me say oh lightly under my breath <laughs> uh, but then yeah she's so you know a little more guilt she then drops the bomb that she's got a short time to live and that she came to say goodbye and I just wanted to give a shout out to Gallagher in this scene. His face after she tells him that, you know, that she's going to die. Uh, really good. Glassy eyed. Very believable. Um, but yeah, that was my O scene. They're all good. I mean, honestly, the scene you were talking about where she blows up talks about, you know, she has this Schwarzenegger line. That's funny. Talks about how you married a woman that represents everything that or that whose father represents everything that I fight against. And he yells at her, you know, I married her for love. All that stuff is great. And then the Sandy Kirsten stuff in the kitchen. Um, also good. But yeah, the, the first one was actually the one that kind of made me, like I said, you know, took took my attention a little bit. Well, I think I think that segment, if, if nothing else, should stand as testament enough to Linda Lavin, who I will I will I'll put this take out there in the world best one and done performance including you know i'll I'll include three or fewer episodes total performance i think she is the best bit character in this show performance wise i i don't know the the entire band of rooney you're not gonna give them a nod (laughs) um Luke's dad? I don't know. <laughs> who is she? Who is she? Luke's up against? dad? I, you're you joke. What I actually liked. He's actually. Pro- I, I was gonna say Gabby, but that's not even close. But yeah, I, Luke's dad. You could. You're, you're not gonna talk me into it, but it's at least a. Uh, you know, at least another nominee. He's in the discussion. It depends on if you allow Rachel to be the big fish oh, in the small pond. Yeah, that's that's a good call. She's like barely Bonnie Somerville, barely in more than three episodes, but. Uh, yeah, she'd give Lavin a run for her money. Donnie, like to get those in the room together. Actually, Donnie that would be a definitely great not. Um, yeah, who else? I mean, Oliver was obviously in many episodes. He made the tier list. Well, but so did Rachel. 
True. Is this hey, the last? Are, are we sure that this is the last we get of uh, Sophie Cohen? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I'm I'm speaking from like what I remember of the rest of the season. It's and a I solid think- guess. Yeah, I'm. I, I would. I would put my money on that. We don't see her again, unfortunately. Steve, we have a very rarely invoked segment coming up. Yeah, this one we don't do very often. But I'm excited for it. I think this is a great episode for it. Uh, I have, of course, reference aired today, gone tomorrow. Listeners, I'm sure once I started teasing this segment, you had all guessed it and your eyebrows has perked and your ears twitching. Uh, we are going to talk about some things that happened in this episode that, you know, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't happen in 2020. Maybe certain things would change about it. Or if it aired today, what would we be talking about the night after? I forget what night this aired. Do you remember, Steve? What night the show was on? I think it was Thursday. I think that's what we agreed on uh, just within our show, that that's, that's now the actual lore. But it's, <laughs> we'll say yes. Thursday. So Friday morning, you're at the you're at the water fountain or the lunch table. You're eat, drinking your chocolate milk, and you're talking about what happened on the OC. What makes it to that discussion? I have a very very minimal. I, this is sort of like an orphaned takedown breakdown, but I I couldn't let it go. So please let me let me discuss. There is an easy to forget scene where Ryan is in Chino and he goes into Arturo's bedroom. Rest in peace, by the way, Arturo, who was sent to jail for no reason, other than that they didn't want to have to pay his actor to be in these scenes. Or they needed, yeah, somewhere that Marissa could stay. But yeah, when Eddie tells Ryan that Arturo, well, he's like, your brother and Arturo are in jail. It's the only you and me left from the old crew. I was like, hmm, I wonder, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Arturo's in jail. <laughs> no explanation on that? Okay. <laughs> he was such a good-seeming guy. Um. Uh, so she's wearing a dress, and... Ryan says that he likes the dress, and Marissa says it's Teresa's. Now, this is this is a male talking about female fashion, but I spoke to my partner about this. I've got backup from a woman. In what universe would a dress fit both Marissa and Teresa? Mm. You think Marissa this is, what- <laughs> is five foot eleven, a hundred pounds. She's a double zero easily. Teresa is a much more normal proportioned young woman. Not the first time they've shared clothes either. Do you remember when Teresa comes in the the Goodbye Girl, I think is the name of the episode, when the episode where Anna leaves and Teresa goes to that cocktail party at the Cohen's house? I think Marisa, Marissa brings her one of her dresses to wear. I was at least able to suspend my disbelief because Marissa would have access to hundreds of dresses. Mm, perhaps. Sure. Perhaps there is one that doesn't really fit her. What? What? What could Teresa have? And, you know, at least it would be like, I don't know. I could, of all the things to wreck my suspension of disbelief in this episode, it seems petty, but it, it happened. <laughs> I, I, I'm i with you, but how does this fit into our this segment that we're doing? <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it doesn't. Fair it doesn't, enough. Okay? It was orphaned. <laughs> I've told you already. All right, all right. But now I have a couple of more and and forgive us listeners yeah but because I, of the way that sophie cohen is 
Dude, because I didn't want to put you on blast there. I'll well, I'll be honest. I texted you before we did the pod, and I was like, I'm really at a loss with segments for this episode. They're just just the stuff that we normally love about this show. I mean, I think that says something about this episode that we like straight up couldn't find uh, ways to work it into like the segments that we have that we've never had any issue with, you know, fitting in for other episodes. So the things that we love about this show just aren't present in this episode, largely, I would say. And one of them totally. being soundtracked. I mean, they play Float On. Did you notice that? And, uh, I did. I did. But that's the fondly. only song they played throughout the entire episode. I'm pretty sure. There may have been one. I know. I was but... clinging to that. I was like, oh, we can at least yeah. do soundtracked. But no, there's one no, song. We don't, have any epi- we don't have any segments called like the Lung and the Restless where we can talk about lung cancer for 20 minutes. Wow. That... <laughs> did you have that one in your back pocket? Or <laughs> no. No, that was off the top of my head. Thank you, though. Uh, no higher compliment than calling something pre-prepared um i do have some air today gone tomorrow stuff though okay that hit me i do want to i do want to prep our listeners and say that they it might become pseudo political not that that's something we usually strive for on the show uh but you know sophie cohen is a very political character she's you know she is a cause marcher she is she's taken some stands herself she has some takes in the episode uh, and so we're going to sort of honor her with that. I want to pose a question to you, Steve. And this is going to be a little complicated, so feel free to, like, take through it with me. Okay. In 2003 and in 2020, how evil is Caleb Nickel? Interesting. Okay, so you're asking this because Sophie Cohen has said that she, yeah, like, the she, she's got a real axe to grind with Sandy and his lifestyle. And most of it kind right. of revolves around him marrying uh, Caleb Nichol. So, see, I don't... Let's just, like, run down the evil things Caleb that we know Caleb's done. One, yep. the Balboa Heights thing. You know, the, basically, he was in... There was litigation involving him trying to buy this, like, piece of land that should have been, like, preserved, I guess. And then later on in the Christmas episode, he find out that he he knew all along that... Couldn't build on it, so he tries to sell it back for, like, an exorbitant amount. All that aside, I don't know if that actually makes it into, like, the national papers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how... I don't really know what Sophie Cohen could know about Caleb, other than that he represents capitalism. And now, right, right for somebody who, you know, it, she she's a... Um, what's her profession? She's a... A, a social, social worker. worker. Right, yeah. So, somebody who kind of, like, has devoted their life to helping out the underprivileged probably has no time for somebody whose only goal in life it seems to be is you know to make as much money as possible but actually like other than the stuff that we know about because of the show it's not like he's breaking laws that i don't know i'm trying i'm 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 taking through this as myself here i don't think totally. that totally and so that i mean it's an interesting question i and i i'm more even asking beyond your own personal viewpoints on you know how how uh, ethical is it to amass wealth how do, how do you think the people of 2003 and the people of 2020 would feel about Sophie Cohen's stance the viewers yeah a joe viewer average viewer um i think that they would oh, well let's let's think about this a little bit further i think that in I, I've just kind of noticed this generally in our society. 
like the pursuit of money seems to be less gross now than it was when I was younger. Like the concept of selling out doesn't really exist anymore the way that social media works and just kind of like how everybody's just kind of decided. Now, this is from my point of view, but everybody's decided that, you know, get as much money as you can or as much as you're, you think you're worth. That didn't really seem to be the case back in the day. And mostly I'm looking at this through the lens of like, you know, bands that if once you got to a certain level of success, your artistic integrity was brought into question somehow. Uh, and this doesn't really have as much to do with like actual capitalism um, or, you know, like real estate developers, uh, what I mean by that. But yeah, just the general concept of selling out, I think back then was looked at as a little bit more gross. And so you maybe Joe Viewer would have sided with Sophie Cohen, whereas now everybody's just kind of like, what's the big deal? He's, you know, he's a real estate developer who makes a shitload of money, like good for him. Interesting. I like that take a lot. I don't know. I don't know that I agree. I think like um, over the course of the last five years, sort of this like billionaire buster, anti-wealth, pseudo-socialist viewpoint has become very popular in in um, at least in the circles that I run and read in. And yeah. I think I almost wanted to call Sophie Cohen a little ahead of her time because. I think in the in the post 9/11 economy it was my recollection that you know she might have been seen as a little bit more of an odd element like what's wrong with what Caleb Nichols doing he's just a businessman right um but now that you say it like that I I I see where you're coming from as well True yeah and I I I don't think that you're wrong especially with the you know the rise of politicians like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, I mean, they haven't gotten to like the main stage yet, but they're getting pretty close and they have a ton of supporters. And I think that those types of, yeah, that, that type of socialism uh, is at least now in the in the popular zeitgeist in a way that it definitely wasn't in 2003. Like the idea of a socialist like presidential candidate um, would not have been something that we thought was possible back then. Not that I'm not calling those people socialists, but you know what I'm talking about. Like they're no, I, I they're think close. that's a fair. I think that's a very fair articulation of the of the phenomenon. So it's interesting. It's yeah. interesting. I think I actually think the character Sophie Cohen would not have to change that dramatically if they were to, if you know, they were to reboot the OC scene for scene. I think they could kind of leave her as she was. Yeah, totally. No, I didn't. I didn't feel like she was. I don't think any part of that character was out of step with the times. I mean, back then or even now, like I, it was not like a, yeah, like, oh, look how this, look how this is aged. Like those types of, those types of people who are obsessed with causes um, that, you know, that are, that I consider worthwhile. Not that I myself, you know, like spend a lot of time uh, marching and doing those types of things, but I respect people who do. Um, But yeah, that's definitely still something that's prevalent in our society and that, you know, like. And, the, and, those, and typically, I mean, those people are pretty self-righteous, too. So that that's also not out of step. Well said. Well said. Um, there is one part of her, one facet of her personality that I found to be, I, I guess, tonally jarring, but just like sort of weird. She hates California. Okay? Yeah. So I don't, and, and it makes sense. Like at the time in 2004, actually, I should correct myself, um, as she mentions, Republican governor 
Arnold Schwarzenegger before a lot of stuff changes. Um, California sort of had a little bit of um, a little bit of a hallmark as being like kind of a moderate state. Nowadays, of course, New York and California couldn't be closer pals. Yeah, I don't know. Politically, that, you're talking about yes. like left leaning. Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm I'm asking you. So it's 2020. We're doing the OC reboot that's aired today. Um, does she hate California, or is she from? Is the whole Sandy Cohen arc sort of time shifted, and he's not from New York after all? He's from somewhere else. No, I don't think that they would change that. And I, and I honestly don't think that... I think that that character, the things... She's she's also... I mean, she's um, she's got a lot of causes that are important to her. But she also... You know, they, they also paint her as kind of crotchety. And I think that's that's <laughs> more where the I hate sunshine and I hate the ocean and I hate... You know, I think the I hate Schwarzenegger line was more... That was kind of like the only moment of levity, I thought. It wasn't really played as a laugh, but... You know, it, it was kind of it was pretty funny. Right, yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, it was it was more of like a I looked at that as more of a pop culture drop than a political one, even though obviously it was the governor of California back then, and that's probably what she was referencing, but you know, she doesn't mention any of the things any of his like political stances that she hates about him. Um I just think it was a generally just like yeah, I'm I'm an East Coaster for life type of thing. I'm I'm on board with that. I just wanted to I just wanted to pose the question because it struck me like just sort of funny. You don't you know you often get like a Bostonian individual who's like California bunch of idiots, etc. But you know New York City and California are sort of kindred spirits in a way. But I guess that's easy to say when I'm from in between both of them and have no real context on either. But uh, just like a, a strange part of her character. Uh, one last question: Is anything in the episode jump out to you as as memeable? I had I had Summer pegged as like a pretty funny contributor to this episode. Her her humor comes from a good natured, well intentioned uh, attempt, a kind of a successful one even at learning uh, about the Jewish religion. Now, my question, it's buried somewhere in that comment deeply. Uh, <laughs> did you find her performance funny? And would it change or would a particular part of it be memorable if uh, it were to air today? I don't think that I don't I don't think it would change much. Um, I had this in there was that moment there where Summer and Kirsten are in the kitchen and they kind of like they, they actually kind of the, the two non-Jewish people are kind of having not a laugh at Judaism, but they're talking, they, they start doing the, they do like the heart, like the Hanukkah or what am I saying? The <clears throat> Judaism is hard and they do the, like the, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, they do so that with the H's. Yeah. They're, they're having a laugh at Judaism's expense. And th- I found that kind of interesting. Now the show is created and written by a Jewish man. So I, I think you can get away with like pretty much anything, uh, when you're you know kind of like having a laugh when the joke's made from inside the faith it's you know right doesn't necessarily matter what the affiliation of the characters making the joke is since it's sort of like it the the joke is made from a position of acquiescence totally absolutely but i thought that that was kind of 
that that's a moment where I was like, hmm, if I didn't know that the creator of the show was Jewish, I could have been, or I, I may have been like, huh, interesting. They're really, uh, I would have had a little beef with taking that, yeah. some shots. Um, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. no, I don't, I don't really think that her, I would have changed much about her performance. No, yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was, um, it was, it was like a little bit refreshing. I overuse that term when talking about Bilson's performances, but damn if it doesn't fit because I, it, I, it played it for laughs a lot less than I thought. Mostly, like, even Seth reacts this way. He's, like, he's like legitimately endeared by her hard effort to get on the right side of uh, people in this family. And I, I thought in the end it was more played for warmed hearts than it was for cheap laughs. Yeah, I agree. I like that moment at the end where he's, like, really proud of her for memorizing it all, and then he tells her, you actually don't need to memorize it. You can read from the book, and she gets pissed. I, that was funny. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree yeah, with what you said there. That was cute. That was cute. All right, well, thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for aired today. I, I don't think it would be gone tomorrow. I think uh, I think this episode would remain uncanceled. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Steve, I think we might have let the proverbial cat out of the proverbial bag. Um, so much proverb talk <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> Now, there is a religious bent to the episode. Um, is this a foundational episode or is it filler? This is the most filler episode, I think, that has happened this season. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's Donnie tier filler. It is <laughs> it is one of the very few episodes where you could legitimately skip it and and nothing would have occurred that would change the course of the plot. So um, true. I want to give what we literally didn't really talk about anything that happens in the, the Chino scenes. I just wanted to give a shout. I do love the moment where it looks like Ryan and Luke are about to fight. And Eddie, like very calmly is like, hey, guys, this is my engagement party. Just like calm down. It, <laughs> it made me think, why has no one ever tried this at a Newport event oh. where two guys are about to like square up? It's just so it, it was so audacious. I, I actually, I loved the moment, but I, I hated it because like <laughs> two episodes ago, Eddie I know, is like yeah. suplexing <laughs> Ryan through a drink cart, like in the middle of like a $10,000 like celebration. Yeah, seriously. It's and like, he's hey, like, come on. Hey, <laughs> I don't want you to knock over my sheet cake here, guys. <laughs> I, re- I realized that I Goldberg speared you into a wall of exotic fruit not 24 hours ago. In in season time, but now, yeah, my whole yeah, family's just, here. There are nieces and nephews that every character is playing with. Please, what sort of message would you send them? If you're ranking the locations a fight has happened on this show, I think the Chino Backyard Barbecue seems like it'd be pretty high on the list. Like that's <laughs> likelihood. You mean we're ranking for likelihood? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's right behind the prison intake center that <laughs> right that's that's definitely number one but chino backyard that's high <laughs> oh god so bad yeah it's filler totally filler all right steve tier list um and i i don't want to keep being dour i seem so dour this episode but not really a ton of strong performances i think a top heavy list my number five i was floundering i was i was, was grasping at oof, straws it was tough I I came damn close to putting Nana Cohen at five. I think if I if we if I wasn't if like the if it hadn't been ingrained in me so deeply that this is like a a evolving list 
Now, at this point, with three or four episodes left in the season, it'd be really hard to put like a, a new character in at number five, uh, despite how good they may have been. But I came close just because there was simply not much other choice. But I also just want to give an honorable mention for Jimmy. The scene at the end with Haley is good. Um, oh, I can do you one better than an honorable mention. I'm going to put Jimmy at my number five spot. You threw him at five. Okay. And here's why. Honestly, not a lot of other options. You could, I think the other one that, that is, if you're not going to go Sophie Cohen, which I think would have been totally defensible, it's not my style. I'm a little more conservative with these, with the new members of the cast, these like one and dones. Um, I wouldn't have griped, but you know, I, I, I have a respectful nod towards your criteria, keeping her off. Um, I think the other one in the running, maybe it'll be on your list, Julie. Um, but between Jimmy and Julie, I just thought Jimmy had some like really cute lines, as he is wont to do uh, in the second half of the season. He sort of shows up, says four things, is incredibly charming in every one of those things, and then leaves. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I liked it. Once again, I thought every scene he was in, it was uh, pleasant and enjoyable. And that's enough for me. That's enough to put him at five for me. You're gonna. You might have an issue with my five. I actually had Marissa at five. Interesting. I don't have an issue. You know, she sneaks onto my list yeah. pretty frequently. I I think everything you said about Jimmy is true. He's he's typically at my five or four spot. I just didn't think Julie was in it enough, honestly, to to Agreed. give her a nod. Uh, Marissa, I've flamed Marissa for not being funny or fun. Uh, I stand by those flames. <laughs> but what she does well is like being exasperated and overwhelmed which she pulls out mm. in this episode uh she has like the breakdown in ryan's arms and then the the last scene actually what i think is her best is when she stands down julie at the end of the episode i thought that was yeah pretty good so that was she- that was pretty cathartic julie who is just like at her at her level worst not not in terms of performance just like being a bastard How <laughs> she has like no, she has like no leg to stand on. She has been having sex with a child for the last month. And now her daughter who used to date that child knows about it. And she like has the absolute gall to boss her around on behalf of that incident. And so Marissa like telling her to to like get fucked was, it was nice. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm crossing my fingers that we might have like a pretty aligned tier list from here on out. I My think we will. Is Kirsten. Okay, I had her at two. Oh, I wish I should know better. Like you're in the bag for Rowan, uh, but I loved her. She, of course, she had uh, finally after a long hiatus, a strong number of scenes. She was actually in the episode a lot for a change, and um, hey, she didn't miss a beat. She was excellent. She gets dunked on by the Nana, takes it in stride. I like that. Uh, I like the summer and uh, Kirsten scene in the kitchen. We discussed the the Judaism. They're taking some swipes, but it's it's all good. And uh, the she had the best guilt trip line of anybody uh, for the Nana. I think she says, "You get to know your grandson and have Sandy back in your life, but if that isn't important to you, and uh, you know, Sophie actually calls her out. She's like, "Yeah, okay, guilt." Are you sure you're not Jewish? So good job by her. But I had her at two. You had her at four. Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, but you know, just because not not for any fault of hers. I just you know she wasn't in even though she was in some more scenes. She wasn't in that many scenes. At right, yeah, she really wasn't. I had summer at two. 
I thought it was a work for. Yeah, at four. Sorry. I thought it was a pretty workmanlike episode for Bilson. Um, she's really the only like comic relief in this episode that's otherwise really somber. Uh, I didn't find anything that she does or says particularly funny, but she brings the good like light vibe into a, what is otherwise like a really serious episode. So I put her at four. I have her at three. So it's not, not a, not a very wide departure between us on this one. Uh, Bilson hanging out in three, waiting to strike, lurking in the shadows mm. for one of the Cohen men to misstep for me. Um, I'm not saying that it, it it will for sure happen. I'm just, I'm saying, listener, don't be surprised if Bilson is biding her time, wait, wait, just like waiting for her moment to reach the top of this tier list. Because, you know, I, I you said it, it was workmanlike. It was... Um, it was sort of meat and potatoes episode for her. Uh, but, you know, even when she's meat and potatoes, she's she's a pretty light meal. She's pretty refreshing. Totally. All right, there's not that many episodes left, man. Are, are you? Do you know something I don't about what happens with Summer? No, I, I just call it a fool's hope. But okay. I just, I would love for Bilson, because she's been so strong the second half of the season. I'd, I just want her to have her moment. That's actually, honestly, part of the reason I put Kirsten at two, just because I feel like I haven't had her on a tier list in a while, and I liked her so much in this episode. So I had to give her, <laughs> had to give her the nod. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. So um, you're, who's you're your three. That was, Summer is your three. Seth is my three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, most of his good stuff, in my opinion, comes at the beginning of the episode before the Nana gets there. Um, but yeah, I I like the that scene in the the probably my favorite Seth scene was the scene at the end of the episode where he's he gets all proud because Summer memorizes it and then tells her that you know you actually don't need to memorize it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, he's your two, I'm guessing, or one. He is. Yep. Well, well stated. Well guessed. Um, I have had a pretty static top three for the last, I don't know, four to six episodes, but I, I feel comfortable and confident in this one again. I really like at the beginning of the episode, how he fell asleep trying to wait for Marissa to call mm-hmm. and then like every, every line he like continues to fall apart for him. It's pretty amusing. And I like his like initial, he's good at rebuking Summer's insecurities. She's like, are you ashamed of me? And he's like, no, obviously not. I'm protecting you from my nana, and these the the sort of dynamic just they never go to the cliche. I just I really appreciate that, and I even though his nana moments were not as strong as the other characters, I also didn't think they were particularly weak. I thought they were, you know, they were good, good not great. So he's your two. I had Kirsten at two. Um, so the man remains. Long live the king. Sandy at one. Luke at number one, oh, man. He's he's back. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> no, how idiotic was it that they sent Luke to retrieve Marissa and Chino? That was like so dumb. I the minute Ugh. so the minute I saw him, I I was like that was like gonna be my big takedown was like how did he manage to make it to Chino? And then the first thing he says is like, Oh, Seth told me that you were here. Like that yeah, none of that made any sense. That just No. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But but let's not rob the king of no. his moment on the throne. Sandy Cohen, Absolutely. number one, still at the top for me. Hasn't fallen in many many episodes. Um, what to say that hasn't been said? It's awesome to get a little bit more Sandy lore in this episode, and he just totally nails those scenes with uh, Sophie Cohen. He doesn't really have any laugh lines, 
but I just I don't think you really needed them in this episode. I guess they would have been welcome because of how you know the tone of the episode overall, but didn't didn't wasn't enough to knock them off my top spot. The only the only time I found Sandy particularly funny was in the beginning where he's sort of ushering all the carbohydrates out of the Mm, yes out of the kitchen and then he like goes to take the pancakes and kirsten like hilariously like dives on them and says don't you dare i thought that was that was pretty cute but that was more of a kirsten line than it was a sandy line but you know all in all it would not have been a salvageable watchable episode without sandy pulling double duty just acting his ass off in all these scenes Mm -hmm. and you know once again, the X factor that makes the show so compelling when the the A cast is absolutely shitting the bed <laughs> in an incomprehensible piece of plot nonsense to have him like make the episode like borderline. Okay. Goddamn. That's a number one performance for me. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. That, that is totally true. He, he drags this one out of the fire single-handedly. <sighs> While not our strongest, I feel, I mean, there had to be one more. Because we're in the home stretch, and this is like mile twenty-one of the of a marathon. The the you're you're not quite ready to sprint for the finish yet, but damn, you've been going a long time. So seriously, you called it at the end. Of, I think at the end of last episode, when you know you were like, oh, "This is the last one that I actually remember where stuff happens." We could be in for it for these last few. I didn't want to believe it, but if if hopefully the rest <laughs> are, are going to be more of the same as this, I hope there's at least like a mild upswing. Um, on that note though, Steve, what are you, what are you looking forward to? What's your cliffhanger? Well, the, the, the big question, the will they or won't they with Jimmy and Haley seems like it's been answered. I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before somebody craps the bed and tells Kirsten or she finds out because that's, Mm. that's bound to happen. I I mean, how long did it take them to break the news that she was a a go-go dancer? Less than two (laughs) on-screen minutes. This family is not good at secret keeping. No, not at all. It was, um, it was to say the least, an unexpected treat that we got to see Teresa and Eddie's engagement party. Mm. <laughs> so what I'm looking forward to are such, such upcoming can't miss events as Rachel's 34th birthday, Uncle Sean's <laughs> retirement party, the celebration for Gabby's ability to rent a car, and Caitlin's bat mitzvah. Oh, is she Jewish now too? <laughs> hey, why not? Everyone in Newport. And lest we forget Donnie's eventual parole hearing. Wow. All of our favorites. That'd be fun <laughs> if they just did an episode that bounced around to all of them. There was none of the main cast. I wonder, I, I'm like, I think it would be like sneakily good. <laughs> don't, don't get at me, anyone who disagrees. Steve, all right few more left until we make it across that finish line though listeners take it till you make it